Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina Joubert, and this is the seventh narrative journey into creative business ideas and how they transform individuals and communities. For the greater part of my life, theatre was the equivalent of reading a play. As an avid reader, harbouring an early fascination with Shakespeare's tragedies, I consumed theatre through a book or a film. Being able to watch Shakespeare was a luxury someone in England or America or one of those places could enjoy. Not someone living in post-apartheid South Africa, where African cultural traditions were a priority. The first play I remember seeing live was The Woman in Black in London at the age of 15. I loved every second of it. Since that moment, I sought out theatre productions wherever I moved to in the world. I got involved with the Whitehorse Theatre Company when I lived in France and was delighted when I discovered The Ark when I moved to Stockton. One of my very first blog posts for Teesside Cat was about a play that I saw there. My most recent discovery was Gift, the Gateshead International Festival of Theatre which is taking place this weekend, from Friday to Sunday. But my discovery happened at a strange time, when everything seems to be moving into the virtual realm. For me, the beauty of theatre lies in the proximity between the real world and that of the theatre maker. Theatre is a space. Its stage, a black hole of possibilities, anything can happen on it. And if theatre is this delicate escape from our world into that of the theatre makers, what would it feel like if we entered this world digitally, embracing the possibility of anything? What would it feel like now, when we're at home, restricted in our face-to-face interactions? I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, Kate Craddock, founder and festival director of GIFT. Kate has years of experience running creative projects, directing the only festival of theatre in the Northeast, I believe, and lecturing at a number of universities. I'm really excited about this opportunity just to discuss with her the role of modern theatre in our society and its latest shift into digitalization. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you for having me. Um, it's great to be here. So um, just to introduce GIFT to you. Um, so GIFT is um, an annual festival that celebrates contemporary theatre. Um, it strives to bring artists and audiences together in surprising ways to encourage um, dialogue and exchange. And it connects the culturally regenerated key, uh, Quayside area of Gateshead with the more commercially redeveloped town centre. Um, and it normally happens every year for the first May bank holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. Yes. To give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called Gift. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trail? So, uh, coming to you this weekend, live from all over the world, will be three days of action-packed theatre and immersive experiences for audiences. Artists will be performing new works from their own homes, 
and they will be reaching out to make new connections with people all over the world. Join us. Brilliant. I will be joining you. <laughs> Part one, embracing the impossible. Contemporary theatre is hard to define. It don't worry me, one of the plays that will be taking place online during this year's festival is produced by a Catalan company, Atres Bandes, and renowned theatre makers Bertrand Lesca and Nassi Wutza. It is a classic example of experimental theatre. It starts with an empty space and two commentators, and slowly, through visuals and comments and humour and interaction with the audience, things start spiraling out of control. Through the performance, they interrogate the bind between art and political correctness. Experimental forms of theatre can, however, sometimes seem far removed from our everyday lives and perhaps hard to understand. Modern theatre is about risk-taking, but it can also follow a more traditional storytelling method. This is the method used in another play that will be taking place this weekend, The North Sea, a radio play in three pints written by Norwegian writer Nick Hagerbeth and brought to life by a team of Northeastern creatives. It is a three-part drama taking place in a Northeast pub and designed to be enjoyed over three pints. So considering these different examples, how would you define contemporary theatre in general, Kate? So those are two um, quite distinctive and, and different examples from the festival programme that I think demonstrate what a, um, the, the kind of breadth of the spectrum of contemporary theatre practice. Um, so something that I always try to do when I programme Work for Gift is I, I encourage artists to push at the boundaries of their practice, whatever their existing practice is. So for Gift with uh, the North Sea, for example, with Nick Hegreberg, this was Nick's first um, opportunity to actually write something for theatre, for the stage. So pre his previous experience was in writing film. Mm -hmm. And so this was a, a new challenge, was to actually write a, a script for performers that was going to be performed in a live setting. And that work was also supposed to be, in the real world, would have been presented in a pub in Gateshead. So there would have been a real challenge there for the performers to be performing a work in and amongst a kind of otherwise busy Saturday, Sunday afternoon pub audience. So people who would be there without the theatre expected to happen, and then also gift audience who would know it was going to be happening. So for those actors involved and the director, that was a challenge to be creating something that was going to be immersive. And also for the writer, it was a new challenge. And then when we moved to the digital realm, we then encountered another whole challenge, which was, well, how do we realize this work? Is it going to actually work? And we did some testing out to try, um, try what might be possible and actually discovered that there was something really interesting in just hearing the words of the text. And by bringing in uh, Nick John Williams, sound designer as well, to kind of create a soundscape to accompany the piece, we've created something that we hadn't, hadn't set out to achieve, but is, is something that I think audiences will be able to download and enjoy over those three days. And I'm really pleased because it will give a sense of a Northeast voice into the festival still. So there will be these, um, be that kind of location in Gateshead represented at the festival. Um, and then on the other spectrum, uh, the piece, uh, Atris Bandis, Burton Nassi's piece, they're, they're both companies and artists who I've worked with over a number of years. So Atris Bandis have presented three works at GIFT over the years. 
before and um, and Bert and Nassie were here last year with their work Palmyra so they've both already built up kind of a, an audience base here and audiences here respond to them amazingly because mm -hmm. of the way in which both companies deconstruct the the expectations of, of the actor audience performer audience relationship and what might be expected and the the way in which they play with the sort of power um, both companies um, and so watching them work together is a really fascinating experience so I mean contemporary theatre is, is very it, it can be really quite broad in terms of its term um, and there are lots of examples that I can offer from the festival this year I mean quite often contemporary theatre practice might start from a kind of autobiographical starting point as opposed to a pre-existing play script um, another example within the festival is Sophie Woolley's Augmented, a play in which um, Sophie actually, uh, Sophie's work is about her experience of going deaf and then becoming hearing again. And she describes herself as a deaf cyborg. Um, and also works that sort of challenge expectation of um, time. So durational performance works, works that happen over longer periods of time and, and kind of more immersive experiences. So where the, where the audience is really put at the heart of the work in a way that's not a kind of traditional performer mm -hmm. um, audience member relationship. So work that challenges that. I mean, I find all of these, the, the works that you've mentioned fascinating. And then especially like, I didn't know the North Sea was meant to be performed in a pub, of course. Are any of these works gonna be performed at a later stage when perhaps things are normal again? Yep, hopefully. So um, with It Don't Worry Me, so that was the, the play, the new performance work by Atres Bandes and Bertin Nassi that premiered in Barcelona in January and then it was due to have a tour in the UK starting at Gift on Friday. So the hope is that that will come back as a real world performance <laughs> at a later date. Um, and actually those performers should have been arriving here today in the week mm. kind of running up to gift. So yeah. in my mind, there's another kind of alternative reality where that's going on. Um, and something I've done to enable those works to have life beyond the digital is that we've ticketed all of the events at gift. We've sort of put a capacity on each event, which means that it's easier for those artists to have a future life for that work so that the work mm. hasn't just been streamed for everybody oh, to yeah. access. But that sort of protects the protects the work for the artists as well. Okay, great. How do you think northeastern theatre makers distinguish themselves from the rest of the performing arts community? It's a good question. I mean, I'm not sure um, that the north. I'm not sure there is such a thing as a north northeast theatre maker. I think there are lots of people in the northeast making very different types of performance practice. Um, certainly. I think there's a long tradition um, in the Northeast, a really long and excellent and strong tradition of socially engaged theatre practice in the Northeast. Um, and I also think there's a very strong tradition of um, of new writing and and of sort of, yeah, of, of, of work that begins with a script and a writer. And so one of the reasons that I set up GIFT was that there seemed to be a gap in kind of actually a space for more experimental practices to, to have a place. And I think that what's happened over the years is that a lot of people whose work was maybe on the edges and didn't quite fit into what were the existing models um, sort of navigated towards GIFT and um, or navigated, gravitated towards GIFT. And I think that, that there's been through that um, I've seen a kind of shift in practice and ways of ways of making. So, yeah, so I wouldn't say that people maybe distinguish themselves from other performing arts communities outside of the Northeast, but I do think that there is a strong 
uh, northeast uh, voice that we see through a lot of um, the work that's maybe presented in kind of the key venues around the northeast. But I think increasingly there's more and more influence from elsewhere, from all sorts of visiting artists or from yeah. the art from northeastern artists getting out and having other kinds of experiences as well. Yeah. That's evident from the programme because a lot of it's collaborations between different artists from all over, really. Yeah. So a festival of theatre can be thought of as an augmented space of possibilities. There are not only more performances to see, but also a greater chance of exchanging opinions and ideas with the artists and audience members. GIFT aims to present a carefully selected programme of innovative works, as you've explained supporting the professional development of playwrights and performers, especially those based in the Northeast. You've touched on it already, but can you perhaps expand a little bit on what motivated you to start GIFT? Yes, so um, there, were, there were sort of three main factors really that encouraged me or inspired me to start GIFT. Um, first of all, as I mentioned, there seemed to be uh, quite a gap in the um, opportunity or sort of cultural offer regionally. So I was someone at that time um, who was also making my own theatre and performance work and I was finding it easier to have my work supported by other venues around the country rather than actually um, to have that work sort of shown so readily in the northeast and I found that I wasn't the only artist who that was the case for um, and we tended to be artists whose work was slightly more experimental in form. So there seemed to be a gap to sort of support northeast artists in that way. Um, Secondly, there was a lot of work, and there still is a lot of work, that tours the UK, but for some reason or other does not necessarily come to the Northeast. Um, it's not within the programming remit of the venues here. So there was also a gap in terms of the work that was made available for audiences to experience. And then, and so, so yes, yeah, so I wanted to do something that addressed that, those two gaps really primarily. Um, and then thirdly, I was... At that point of setting GIFT up, so looking back 10 years ago, I had a studio space in a disused bed shop on Gateshead High Street. So Gateshead Council did quite a lot of work around um, putting artists into the high street as a way of um, regenerating the mm -hmm. area or sort of looking to art and creative um, yeah, industry as a way of bringing kind of yeah, creative regeneration into that area. So I was one of a number of artists who had this desk for space, studio space on in a disused bed shop on Gateshead High Street and I started to see the possibilities of what might be possible there. Okay. I was touring my own work to other international festivals around the world. I took a solo show to a festival called uh, the Sibiu International Festival in Romania um, and I was um, also going to other festivals like the ACT Festival in Bilbao where I was taking student groups and I was uh, directing and facilitating and making works and I was able to really see the potential for festival as a real catalyst for regeneration in those cities and starting to kind of think yeah this is what we're this is what we're missing here um, and and also someone who was working in higher education I was I had a frustration that I couldn't show a lot of the students that I was working with the kind of works I wanted them to have access to so so that was another kind of starting point for me really yeah and then I find it quite amazing how under normal circumstances gift will be would have taken place in Gateshead in different venues, not necessarily a theatre per se. Can you maybe just explain how it normally happens? Because I yeah. find that that's quite nice. Yeah, so GIFT, um, so GIFT events, when, when GIFT was first founded, 
we, we did events all over kind of Gateshead Town Centre effectively. So we used what was Gateshead Old Town Hall at that time. So it's, it's no longer used as a venue, sadly. Um, and we also used um, the pub, the central pub, which is a great pub just off the Tyne Bridge for anyone that knows it. Um, and we also um, would place work in the Gateshead Interchange Metro Station so that passers-by could encounter work as well as in uh, sort of sited locations around Gateshead. Um, and more recently, we've been working a lot at Cademan Hall, um, which is the hall upstairs from the Gateshead Central Library, so very much a venue embedded in the community in Gateshead. So we've been sort of occupying all these different spaces. And then since 2017, we've also been working collaboratively with Baltic. And so um, we also present work at Baltic Center for Contemporary Art. And, and so that's kind of where this connection between these otherwise disparate um, spaces and venues and organization really comes into play. So a festival goer might go to Baltic to experience something, then they'll walk half an hour through Gateshead to get to Caveman Hall for the next event, then walk back through to the metro station to see something else. So there'll be a real sense of, of um, exploring Gateshead as a location or as a site for festival. Yes, I think that's great. And hopefully next year it will be like that. So hopefully. yeah. <laughs> Gift is only one part of what you do to develop theatre in the region. Considering your professional background, you have had many different roles connected to the performing arts, both from an academic and creative perspective. At what point did you decide that you were going to make a living out of theatre? Hmm. <laughs> I'm still deciding if that's possible. <laughs> I, um, I've, I've, um, yeah, I, I think I, I did my undergraduate degree in English literature and theatre studies at Glasgow University. Mm -hmm. And I kind of said to myself, if I still want to do this performing thing after this, then I will do something that's a bit more practice based afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I did go on to sort of do a lot, a lot more um, practical based work at a master's in sort of theatre and performance. But I am, um, I think it's always been something that I've luckily, very luckily been exposed to from quite a young, young age. So I, I grew up in Glasgow until, um, as a kid, lived there till I was 10 and so spent quite a lot of time as a child going through to Edinburgh to the festival every year. So some of my first memories of being in a festival context are being as a kid at the fringe and they say who's going to volunteer and that feeling of shall I put my hand up, shall I put my hand up, you know, and that kind of excitement. Um, and that's something that's always stayed with me and experiencing street theatre, etc. So those kind of experiences as a kid, I think, were really um huge had a big impact on me um and likewise i did things growing up like singing in a choir that got to travel a lot and we traveled to lots of parts of different parts of europe and mm -hmm. and the states and and having those opportunities for kind of cultural exchange were again massive in terms of i think what i've ended up doing um yeah and then and then and then making decisions to make my own performance work um and to to kind of experiment with that um, yeah, so, but then realizing that it's a tough old world out there mm -hmm. and, and also that there's also a real uh, privilege and joy in being able to sort of also exist and occupy um, roles within higher education as well, where that allows me opportunity to kind of reflect and to, and, and also, I suppose, over a number of years to work with amazing kind of artists who are now out there making their own work, but working with those people as students over the years has also been an incredible journey. And have there been any major shifts in what you wanted to achieve a couple of years ago, would you say? 
Yeah, I think so. I've, I've actually, um, I made quite a big decision actually back in the summer. So for the last, well, pretty much since 2005, I've, I've been attached to um, Northumbria University, um, where up, over the last five years, I've been delivering the and running the MA in Theatre and Performance Programme. And then over the last last year, I took part in a leadership programme called the CLAW, um, CLAW Cultural Leadership uh, Fellowship. And I was awarded the Theatre Fellowship to do that. And that gave me opportunity and courage to make a step away from working full-time in higher education and to um, embrace other opportunities that were emerging and to focus more energy and time on gift and also to take on a new role um, that I've now since since leaving that role at Northumbria I've taken on a new role at Newcastle University where I'm now a research associate and I'm working on a project that's around audiences and kind of nurturing trust and developing risk-taking with audience members and how we do that. You've had quite a few different roles in academia. Can you maybe just talk us through some of these roles and, and what you, basically what's the difference between being involved academically in the field rather than artistically? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so my, my journey into academia, I, I suppose, began in 2005 when I had just, I'd finished an MA at London and Goldsmiths in, theater, in performance, um, yeah, in performance, and I'd finished that, and then I came back up to the Northeast, and I spent a year as a trainee kind of performer with the Northern Stage Ensemble under Alan Nidyard, so I was a kind of trainee performer, and I learned through the doing of that that I wasn't going to be somebody who was going to be told where to stand on stage, like actually that wasn't in me, rather I wanted to be someone who was not necessarily telling people where to stand on stage, but kind of being part of the overall collaborative creative vision of something which lent more towards theatre making and more towards reflecting and thinking about why we're making the work that we make. And so from there I moved into a role at Northumbria University as a graduate tutor where I was, um, where I was engaged in a PhD and I was also teaching. And in that role my PhD was looking at the notion of collaboration and performance practice and very specifically it was looking at how and whether you can maintain collaborative modes of ensemble um, theatre making despite geographical divide mm -hmm. so what I was doing at that point I was part of a theatre company called Mouth to Mouth with my co-artistic director Lynette Morn who's the artistic director of a festival now in Dublin called Live Collision and we um, collectively set up a company where we use Skype as a tool to enable us to create performance work so I've been working in this realm since yeah. 2005 so it goes back quite a long way oh. and um, and I was yeah, so I was making performance work and that became the basis for my PhD thesis. And so I was always integrating the two. So my practice research was really, was what I was doing as well in part of, as part of my role as being a graduate tutor. Um, I then, my contract finished in 2010 or 20, no, was it 20? Yeah, I can't remember, I'm trying to remember the date. Uh, 2009, I think, and I went to Leeds and I worked at Leeds Metropolitan, now Leeds Beckett University. Mm -hmm. And I worked there part-time um, three days a week, but still based up here in Newcastle. So I was kind of all Gateshead actually at that point and I was going backwards and forwards. Um, but that role gave me a lot of opportunity to be part of an amazing team of academics who were also creative practitioners and seeing the benefit and the impact on what's possible working with students when you're both a practicing artist and an academic. 
and I had a lot of opportunity through that role to take students abroad to international festivals etc so all of these things were kind of intertwined in terms of my thinking and then I came back to Northumbria in 2011 where I was a senior lecturer in performance and I was the program leader for the performance course for a number of years and then and then uh, was involved in setting up the master's program in theatre and performance and was the program leader for that for the last few years yeah yeah and now I've left and now I'm at Newcastle oh. <laughs> there are quite a lot of <laughs> shifts yeah do you mind uh, expanding a little bit on some of the challenges that you faced running gift yeah so gift is um the biggest challenge with gift really is around the funding and securing it to happen every year so gift has no regular core funding it's funded on a project by project basis which means every year i apply for funding to make it happen and every year i don't know whether it's going to happen or not until um mm -hmm yeah until a few months beforehand normally so that's one of the biggest challenges is being able to plan and ensure that delivery is going to go ahead as yeah. as planned yeah. um so so funding you know there's there were two years actually where we didn't get any funding in 2015 and 2016 and both of those years were we decided rather than just stopping gift altogether we did something different with it so actually in 2015 the fact we didn't get funding was really tricky because i'd also just become a mum and so it was all of this kind of everything was you know everything time. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a great time to get that knock um yeah so i but what i decided to do in 2015 was we set um gift up as an online festival actually in 2015 oh, really? so we okay. ran the festival just on facebook and twitter and mm -hmm. we made it an open invitation for artists to upload their own material or to make their vimeo accounts open so we've already kind of done a little bit of a test run i suppose mm -hmm. in something much smaller but still we there's there's been a background so that was a huge challenge you know what happens when you don't get the money do you just stop mm -hmm which is an option or do you um do you reinvent or try again and so yeah so we did an online festival and then the following year in 2016 i made um a kind of large site specific work with 60 of the students i was working with all around gateshead town center and gateshead interchange so we sort of had a sense of something still happening and i also yes. programmed two two or three shows that i was able to secure some funding for to deliver um to, to keep gift alive in those years yeah part two stretching the bounds of theater into the virtual realm in response to the circumstances linked to covid19 gift has reimagined the entire festival as a digital experience it will continue to give artists the opportunity to produce their work and reach a wide audience by embracing the possibilities of domestic technology. Something that I've just discovered is not entirely new to you. Can you talk us through what you experienced when you realised that the festival will no longer take place as normal this year and why it was important for you to continue the festival regardless this year and before, as you've explained? Yeah, so it was completely devastating, obviously, as it was dawning on me, actually, GIFT probably isn't going to happen this year, because because last year um, there was a little bit of a hiatus. We still ran the festival, but on a much smaller scale, because I was um, I was at the same time doing the CLAW um, fellowship, so it was difficult for me to run the festival as I would do normally. We still did one, but it wasn't the same scale. So, yeah, so I was really devastated because I'd been looking forward to GIFT 2020 as our 
10th edition or 10th version of the festival. And I was also so excited about the lineup of artists who were involved. They were artists, some of whom I've been in conversation with for years to, you know, bring their work to the Northeast. So that was a, it was a real blow, but then actually gradually it came out through a number of conversations. There are options here. We either just cancel it or we postpone it till next year or we do something else. And actually I put the, I put it to the artists. I said, this is an, this is an opportunity. One thing that we might do is we could go digital and you know, are you up for that? And essentially through conversation, I think um, artists were more inclined to say yes, because I had experience of doing this in different ways previously. Um, and also because I said to artists, it's, it's an experiment, you know, this is, an opportunity for you all to experiment with your practice and the way in which you're working and the whole festival will be deemed one big experiment things are inevitably going to go wrong it's a digital world <laughs> things will there will be glitches yeah. um of course but let's try and make something still happen and it felt important for me to do that because it, it it's a way of still it's a way of me honoring the relationship that I had made with those artists about supporting and presenting their work this year. If ever there was a time when artists and freelancers needed to be supported still, it's now, like there was funding in place to make the thing happen. So, so yeah, so those were the main reasons and just an opportunity to still bring artists and audiences together in surprising ways, which is what GIFT always tries to do. And now it's trying to do that, but just in an even more surprising way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I think one of the things that that dawned on me was that I could invite someone who does not live in the area to join me in the, the theatrical experience, which I've done. Great. Do you believe theatre is equally suited to a virtual domain as to live performance? Or do you believe there are some key differences or even perhaps there are two different art forms entirely? Yeah, they're not the same thing at all. <laughs> and, um, and there's a long history of um, people making work online and sort of net art and internet art, etc. There's a whole other field of inquiry and field of practice that exists that has its own lineage, which is very distinctive from theatre and live performance as such. But I've always been, I suppose, someone who's been interested in blurring those boundaries a bit through the work I used to make with Skype on Skype, which would often have somebody in a live studio theatre space but, or a gallery space, but they would be connected with performers all around the world on Skype who would be on screens within the space with the live performer. So I've always been interested in what happens when you blur those, blur those spaces. I think the key thing about theatre or performance as it's experienced in in a in a regular way in a theater space or in a live space with a live audience in front of you is that sense of being together and um, being connected with those other people around you in that space whether that's the if it's a one-on-one -on -one work it's the relationship that's established between you and the performer if it's a um, an end-on work it's between the performers on stage and the audience however that relationship set up and so something that's very key to what i'm trying to integrate into gift to make sure we still maintain that sense of connectivity between performer and audience is we're establishing lots of ways in which audiences can engage with the work and the things that they can be doing while experiencing the work and that still make them feel connected in some way to one another as other audience members watching the work or um, connected in some way through objects or whatever we've asked them to do um, so everybody who signed up for gift will be sent a set of instructions um, from each of the artists about how that work should be experienced so 
what room in the house you should be in, whether you should be watching it on your phone in the dark or whether you should be eating something, watch, you know, all those sorts of things. So try to create um, the kind of intimate or the special experience that you have when you're in a theatre space. Well, you've managed to put together an incredible variety of events. There are interactive performances, a radio show, radio plays, debates, music, workshops, uh, sensory experiences, and even a virtual cocktail lounge. I'm really excited about this to see how it's going to work, but yeah. Can you give us some examples of performances that will really stretch the bounds of theatre in order to be appreciated online? Yeah, so I think all of the works that are being <laughs> created for this will be doing this in one way or another. It's worth saying that actually only two of the shows in the festival programme are pre-recorded um, performances that have already happened in a theatre space. Everything else is going to be a live encounter between a performer and the audience that they engage with. So that in itself sets up all sorts of possibilities for how we might be expanding our understanding of theatre um, or, or what, yeah, and what's possible, stretching the bounds of theatre, I think is what you said. So I think uh, Tanya El Khoury's piece, As Far As Isolation Goes, which is a one-on-one -on -one work, um, it's a piece that follows on from an earlier work that Tanya made with Basil Zara, who's the performer in the work, um, that I experienced at a festival called Under the Radar in New York a couple of years ago, which is, it's extraordinary. Um, and I'm so intrigued by how this is going to work in a digital realm. I know what they're going to do and I'm, I'm going to be in the tech rehearsal later this week, which I'm really excited about, um, to get to experience the work myself. But I know that they're working, so the piece is really reliant on, on um, touch and on sense. And so it's like, how do we make, how, how do we still enable that um, experience for an audience despite this mode of interaction? Yeah. Um, Something, yeah, something like Manifestos from Times of Crisis by Rosanna Irvin, another piece in the festival programme that's purely um, based on conversation and on the idea of the people, the participants who join that work become the public artwork in itself. They contribute to the conversation and through participation in that work, you collectively come to a decision or a you create your own manifesto for how we might emerge out of these times. Art often has the power to transcend divisions. One of GIFT's aims is to bring together artists from all over the world, as you've explained. As much as it champions local theatre, it also celebrates artistic brilliance from other countries, putting at its forefront collaboration, a connection between different artistic and cultural communities. Firstly, why would you say that this is especially important now during the coronavirus pandemic? And then secondly, does a digital format help bring more people together for the love of theatre? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that it really allows the format of going online, it allows GIFT to reach um, people much further away than ever before, as you, as mm -hmm. you mentioned. Um, I think one of the challenges with that, though, as well, is retaining the relevance to Gateshead. So while we're able to reach audiences who, we, who could never have come to GIF before or who would never have got on a plane to fly across the world from Australia, for example. Um, but there, I have friends in Australia who are very excited about being able to attend GIF for the first time. So it's that sort of, it's a bit of a double whammy. Um, and we're working hard to try to um, keep Gateshead, keep the G, the G in GIF still as much as we can. Um, yeah, but I, but I also think, you know, this is a moment when people are experiencing something that we've never experienced before in our lifetime. 
and well for most of us and it's uh, we are experiencing isolation we are kind of dealing with whatever our surroundings are so i really hope that gift will enable people to sort of stretch out of the moment like on the confines mm -hmm. that they're existing in and reach out and um, develop relationships with other people that they wouldn't otherwise encounter yeah. and i think that that can only be a positive thing yeah at the moment i hope <laughs> definitely i mean from my point of view i've never even thought of attending a, a play or a performance online mm -hmm. and well i thought why not i mean you might just experience something completely new and it does open up a lot of other possibilities for the future development of theatre, I think. Mm -hmm. Part three, effects of the bazaar on the spectator. Catharsis, the release of emotions through art, is the effect theatre is meant to have on the spectator. It can be described as emotional regeneration. It is a release of emotions through which one can achieve a state of moral or spiritual renewal. By watching tragedy or comedy, spectators are meant to experience a series of emotions as they watch the performance, and in the process become more at ease with themselves and the world. If a performance drifts away from straightforward narration, and perhaps presents a rather bizarre spectacle. How does this affect the process of catharsis for the viewer? Is it the same? I don't think that any, I don't think that any experiencing of theatre can ever be the same anyway. I think that we all, I think every, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but every, everyone experience, everyone's experience of, of any kind of theatre is individual or unique to them because it's based on their, their own reference points, their own, what they've brought into the room that day. Yeah, so it's not something that's um, a fully collective experience anyway, I would say. So whether that's categorized as traditional theater or more contemporary practice, okay. I think that what contemporary theater does allow you to do sometimes, it allows you to, what I love to do is I love to drift in and out. <laughs> I love to be made aware of who I'm in a room with. I love to be, I love to be challenged in my thinking and so whether that's through straightforward storytelling or spectacle or it's making you reflect on the world in a way that you haven't before I think that's a kind of um, that's what's maybe unique about it but I wouldn't say that we can ever have um, a fully collective experience because every experience is, is distinctive to you and who you are and what mm -hmm. you bring to the room. Yes that makes sense. Yeah. Thinking specifically of some of the upcoming events like Manifesto from Times of Crisis that you've mentioned, It Don't Worry Me, Idol, and another one, Music for Lectures, Get Lost, which is a, a podcast that you can listen to while you leave the house for your daily dose of exercise. Can this process help people find some kind of peace during this time of uncertainty? And by process, I mean engaging with these, these performances or listening to, to the music or the podcast or whatever it is? Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, I can't say that obviously the festival is going to be a cure for, for, for us all in the situation, <laughs> yeah. but, but I do hope it can offer something that feels a bit more like there's something norm, there's something maybe about um, 
normality to it in that you're going to book a ticket to go to an event you know so rather than just actually encountering content that's being streamed online continuously where there's quite a saturation of that at the moment um you're making a choice about something i'm making a choice to go to gift this weekend i'm going to book a ticket to go to that and i think that that thought process in itself is a helpful one at the moment because it gives you something to hold on to that feels more connected to how we were a few weeks ago before the lockdown began um very true yeah and then and then there's also just the sense of of of, you know of of community that i've talked about already that sense of kind of these works being experienced um i know that i'm going to download the podcast and i'm going to go out and i'm going to listen to wendy houston's voice in my ears while i'm walking around um the local streets and i'm thinking about someone else who might be doing that in another part of the world you know and and what their experience of that is what are they looking at what are they seeing what are they thinking while they're experiencing that and just knowing that that's a kind of collective endeavor makes it feel like a positive encounter yes definitely greg wohead's durational play which will also be taking place this weekend crack of dawn it deals with the dilemma of understanding others perception of an identification with the other is another reoccurring aspect of theater so keeping this in mind how can theater have a positive impact on our society in general and lastly how can festival goers make the most out of their virtual theatrical experience this year so greg's work is a really great example of a piece of work that will make you reflect on conversations that maybe you've had in your life where maybe you didn't quite understand the other person's perspective or where they were coming from Um, and there's quite a few works i think in the festival this year i think the north sea certainly does the same thing where we start to try to understand what someone else's position might be and i think that anything that enables us to do that start begin to understand why does that person think this way and i think this way anything that enables us to start to think in that way more can only have a positive impact on our society because that should and would and hopefully lead to us being able to understand one another a little bit better than we currently do so that's definitely a theme or thematic that was kind of emerging unintentionally through some of the work that's in the program this year and in terms of how festival goers can make the most of their experience, their virtual experience, I think by booking into a selection of works that you otherwise maybe wouldn't have ever gone to see in the real world as a good start. So, you know, actually using this as an opportunity to, to take some kind of risk in terms of the kind of work you're up for encountering and going to see. Um, I think there's something important as well about giving work uh time and like like dedicating yourself to that experience so it's it's one thing i think being an audience member where you're kind of watching something as an online stream and you're sort of drifting in and out and you're also looking at your phone and you're also got another screen on another side of the room but actually sort of dedicating yourself as an audience member to the artist and to the work that's the way you're going to get most out of this experience yeah and just throwing yourself in absolutely Thank you so much for joining me today, Kate. And before we go, I have a few quick questions to round up the show. I love these questions. <laughs> I hope you enjoy them too. <laughs> so what is the most recent film series you watched, podcast you listened to, or book you read? Um, 
Well, the most recent podcast I listened to was yours in preparation for this. <laughs> so I need to listen to Kat's podcast a little bit more before doing this. So, so your podcast, which is fantastic. Um, and the most recent book is I just finished reading Winnie the Pooh with my son, which was a great reminder of the importance of friendship, I think, at the moment. <laughs> Thank you. What is your number one tip to help us cope during this time? There's... <sighs> there's no one right way to deal with this situation and if this is an opportunity to take some time to reflect on some changes you might want to make as we come out of this then use it for that tell us about the biggest challenge you have overcome in your life oh it's a really tricky one um i think Maybe if I had an accident when I was in my early 20s, I had quite a significant um, burn when I was 21, which left me in hospital for about a month. I couldn't walk and I had to have um, surgery on my legs. And yeah, so that was quite a significant thing because I had to learn to walk again. So oh, realizing nice. some of the things that I'd been mm -hmm. taking for granted and then suddenly being made aware of aware of that. And um, yeah, was was hugely significant and a massive challenge mm -hmm. that I overcame. What is the first place or country that you will visit when this is over? I think one of the things that I'm doing a lot of at the moment is actually reflecting on travel and on the need to travel as much as I have been. I've spent the last couple of years traveling a lot. And um, so I've been doing quite a lot of reflecting around how much of that travel is necessary. Yeah. Um, so I'll say I'll go around to my mum's house and actually go into my mum's house and give her a big hug. <laughs> Great. <laughs> And then if someone wanted advice on starting a career in performing arts, what would you tell them? Um, I would tell them that there's no one way in, there's no right way in, um, but to do some, do as much research as they possibly can about what the right route for them might feel like um, and to take opportunity that's presented. Sometimes you don't know who or what you're going to experience and how that experience might come back in the future. Um, who you might have a conversation with one day, who then 10 years down the line remembers that conversation and gives you a call. You just don't know. <laughs> so yeah, so just, so be open to a new experience and to do your research into what, yeah, what's gonna be the right path for you. Great. Thank you again, Kate. The Gateshead International Festival of Theatre is taking place this weekend kicking off on Friday, 1st of May, and continuing until Sunday, 3rd of May. If you would like to find out more about GIFT, their exciting programme this year, or would like to book tickets, visit their website at giftfestival.co.uk. One clarification about the tickets. Are these a set price, or are they pay-as-you-decide, or how do these yeah. work? So all the all the events are free to book and then we're asking audience members to make a donation via pay what you decide. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this narrative journey, kindly spread the word by leaving me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts or Spotify. Sharing the podcast episode helps so much and giving me a thumbs up on social media too. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.